1: Welcome to the Untold Story, everybody. I'm Martha McCallum, and I'm truly honored by the presence of our guest today. The former prime minister of the United Kingdom, Liz Truss, is joining us. Uh, Prime Minister, thank you very much for being with us today. It's great, great to be here, Martha. So you are giving a speech in Washington, D.C., and I, I want to talk to you about the themes that are really important to you. And one of the things that struck me, and, y- you know, you're, you're known as a former prime minister. Uh, unfortunately for you, it was a very short tenure. What really stood out to me is you said, I care too much about this agenda to walk away, and I know that there are others who do too, both in the U.K., and the United States, and that your plan is to set forth to continue this battle of ideas. So tell me a little bit about what you want to get across in your speech at the Margaret Thatcher Freedom Lecture at the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C. this week.
0: Well, first of all, let me be absolutely clear. I am not planning to run to be prime minister again. But what I do believe is the platform I put forward, the ideas that I advocated for Smaller government, low taxes aren't just really important for the future of Britain and making us a successful country. They're also important for the future of the free world because we're facing a massive threat from China, from Russia, who've invaded Ukraine, uh, China menacing Taiwan. And in order to counteract those regimes, we need strong economies. And the fact is, at the moment, we've got stagnating economies. We've had low growth for over a decade. We've got more and more spending by the government, both in the UK and the US, and we need to change it. And those are the ideas that I want to fight for, because I think it's very important for our future.
1: You know, I think there are ideas that resonate so strongly here in the United States. And I think there were a lot of uh, conservative thinkers in this country who were very inspired by the things that you said in the run up to being prime minister and uh, during your time there as well. You talked about, as you just said, low taxes, limited government. You, You said that you see this model has sort of strangled into stagnation. So why do you think it was that there was so much pushback to these bold ideas when you were prime minister? What happened? What I think has happened is that Britain
0: and America and other parts of the free world have drifted to the left. People have got used to higher taxation, more government spending. I think we saw that after the financial crisis. We saw that after covid So in Britain, it's now the case that almost half of all the money spent in the country is spent by the government. And I don't think as conservatives, we've done enough to counteract that. So I think we've seen the left dominate our institutions. I think they're dominant in the media. And it was a big rock to push uphill, frankly. Mm. Uh, I didn't have enough support either within the Conservative Party, within the country, or even around the world, you know, what I found was my plans were being attacked, not just by people in Britain, but also by President Biden, uh, by, the, by the IMF. And I fear that there has been a groupthink on bigger government, high taxes for too long. And it's going to take time and it's going to take effort to turn that around. But I really believe we need to. Otherwise, we're going to carry on living in this low-growth world, this world where nobody takes responsibility, this world where businesses are more more obsessed with uh, social targets and diversity targets
1: and actually generating opportunities. You know, when you look at some of the efforts to sort of rein in spending, in this country right now, even, even mentioning making adjustments to the future of Social Security or Medicare can get a candidate canceled almost immediately. And you look at Emmanuel Macron in France and his efforts to raise just a little bit the working age to 64 or 65 in France. And you've got protests rampant in the streets. So how do you articulate to people why they should give up anything that the government is giving them?
0: Well, I agree with you. It's a it's a massive problem, and we've got to this stage where the government is seen as the concierge that can just fix your mm, problems. So, if it. you want to buy a house, if you want to fix your business's problems, if you want to invest, it's the government's issue rather than your issue. And I just don't think that is sustainable. And we have to show people the fact that this lack of economic growth is actually costing every single household. So, if the British economy had grown as much over the last decade as it had before 2007, everybody in Britain would be £10,000 better off. Mm. It's now the case that people in Britain, the average GDP per capita is 30% less than the US. And I think we need to expose people to the fact of why are they feeling poorer? Why are their wages not going up? Why is it difficult to get funding for public services, it's because we don't have this this economic growth. And we need to take on the people who threaten to cancel us all the time. And that means being brave. It means saying things that aren't popular. And it means
1: winning that argument. Is there anything, looking back on your tenure as prime minister now, is there anything that you would do differently when you look back that might have allowed you to advance the country in the way that you're talking about? Or was it just too soon?
0: Of course, there are lots of things I could have done differently. And of course, I made mistakes. But I think that it was operating in a very difficult environment. And the public mood had changed significantly in Britain to the mood that it was after the Cold War, when everybody agreed that capitalism was a great model and that free enterprise would deliver. I think the tide has shifted. And if you look at the younger generation, they're more likely to believe in socialist ideas. If you look at the business community, they're very focused on ESG. So, I think I was trying to push a rock uphill. There's no doubt I could have stayed in office longer if I hadn't tried to be bold and produce those bold ideas. But I did it because I felt it was urgent. I think we're in a really urgent situation. We are facing threats from overseas that are bigger than any threats we've had for a generation that could threaten our economic future and our freedom, and that's why I felt we had to act. And in Britain, there are very, very serious problems with the cost of living. There are serious problems with people's wages not going up, and I felt we had to fix those.
1: With regard to the authoritarianism that you are very concerned about and have spoken out strongly about, with regard to China, what about President Macron's visit to China a few days back, urging the Chinese government to lead negotiations to end the war in Ukraine? Was that the right move on his part? No, I don't think it was. It was a, it was a mistake. President
0: Xi has been very clear that he is a close ally of Russia. Russia and China are working together and they do not want us in the West to succeed. They want their view of the world, their model of the world, their authoritarian methods, they want those to apply more widely. They don't want to see us succeed. So I think going to President Xi and asking him to intervene with Russia in favour of freedom and democracy is the wrong approach. I think France. Germany, the EU, the UK, the US—all of the allies of freedom need to work together. Uh, we should be working together to deal with China's economic threat. I think we're going to be much tougher on China on trade. I think at the moment they are able to use uh, the export markets they have to the West to fund fund their belligerent
1: activities, and we've got to we've got to put a stop to that. Do you equate it to the kind of appeasement? that happened in the UK and in Europe prior to World War II, this move by Macron and reaching out to China? Well, we also saw
0: ahead of the invasion to Ukraine that the French president and others were reaching out to Vladimir Putin, and that didn't work. That strategy didn't work. And appeasement never works because people think that there's a cost to doing things differently. Of course, there'll be a cost if we decouple more uh, with China, there'll be a cost to us now. There's a cost of us not importing gas from Russia, but the cost will be much bigger later on. It'll be much greater if we don't act now, if we allow Putin to be successful in Ukraine, if we allow a successful invasion of Taiwan. So, I think people are making short-term judgments that threaten our freedom in the long term. Of course, we've got to learn the lessons of history, uh, the lessons prior to the World War, but also the lesson of what happened in the run up to the Ukrainian invasion, the fact that we didn't act when Putin invaded, invaded Crimea, we didn't act uh, over earlier signs that he was a tyrant who was going to ex- seek to expand his influence.
1: we have had this intelligence leak that happened this week um, which revealed a lot about some people in US intelligence and their viewpoint on whether or not Ukraine is weakening its position whether or not they'll be have any chance of success with this spring offensive. There's a lot of concern, I think, thrown on that in these documents. The other thing that I think is very startling is this report that Egypt considered giving 40,000 missiles to Russia. Egypt is an ally of the United States. Um, The UAE There were discussions in the UAE, according to these documents, that they were considering basically turning against U.S. and U.K. intelligence sources in the United Arab Emirates. What do you think is going on out there with the people that uh, the U.S. and the U.K. have considered our allies? Well, look, I don't know the
0: details about that intelligence. But what we do know is that China and Russia are working very, very hard to influence other countries global floating vectors, if you like, the the global south, it, through things like the Belt and Road Initiative that China is doing, uh, through the Wagner Group that Russia uh, is in charge of. And we cannot take the support of any of these countries for granted. And this is why I'm a great believer in us doing more trade. The UK has just joined the Pacific Trade Deal, the CPTPP. That's a very important anti-China bullock. We also need to be active in the Middle East as well. We We simply cannot take countries for granted if they feel that they are going to get more out of a relationship with China, if they feel that these authoritarian regimes are on the up, that they're becoming more economically powerful. I'm afraid to say we'll see more countries drifting in that direction. That is why it's so vitally important that we get our economic mojo back, that we show that our model of free enterprise, of democracy, of freedom, actually delivers for people and works. Because if we have this continued stagnation, if people look over there and they see the Chinese state capitalism model and they
1: see it delivering, then, of course, those countries are going to drift towards China. You know, when you look at uh, the current prime minister, Rishi Sunak, how how do you think he's doing? Um, do you think, why do you think he's, you know, sort of, uh, continuing to be able to serve as, as prime minister. What's your message to Americans about what's going on in the U.K. right now, which is obviously our oldest and strongest ally?
0: Well, I think the relationship between the U.S. and the U.K. is more important than any one prime minister or president. This is a long standing relationship, and it's based on our values, the things that we believe in, uh, the value of individual liberty, of freedom, of democracy, those things are longstanding and we need to do all we can to renew them. I'm very pleased that we've joined the Pacific trade deal. I think that's a very important move for the UK. I'd love to see uh, the US join that. And I want Britain to be successful. But what I'm saying in my speech is that ultimately we're only going to be successful if we take those tough decisions now. That are going to lead to our long-term prosperity, and it's possible to muddle along. It's possible to manage things in the short term, but I believe that both of our countries do need big changes. And in Britain, you know, in back in 2016, the British public voted for Brexit because they wanted things to be different. Yet at the moment, we've still got all of the EU laws on our statute
1: books. So. We need to get on with delivering bold change. When you look back to the period of Thatcher and Reagan, uh, sort of the golden age for conservative thinking and persuasion in our part of the world, um, they also followed a period of a lot of um, malaise, we called it here in the United States, and uh, you know, distrust and dissatisfaction with government. Is it ever possible to recreate that moment again, to have people believe in fierce competition and economic growth and succeeding and excelling? Those words do not seem to be very popular these days. No, they're not. But those words weren't popular
0: in the early 1970s either. You know, in the early 1970s, people were talking about prices and incomes policy, You know, they were saying that Britain was never going to be successful again, that we were the sick man of Europe. And because of the ideas that were developed in the 70s and because of the Thatcher government, who is, of course, very closely linked to the Reagan government, we saw a revival. Uh, We saw a revival of our economic fortunes on both sides of the Atlantic. And we've got a different set of problems now. In the 70s, we had massive industrial problems We had unionization, low productivity, very poor economic growth. We also had high oil prices. Our problem now is that government is too big. Mm. It's sucking the enterprise, the ingenuity out of our countries. It's it's making people think, well, why bother going to work? Why bother set up a business because it's too expensive? It's too difficult. I'm taxed too much. So we need to deal with the problem we've got now. So it's not exactly the same problem we had in the 1970s. But of course, I believe in these ideas. I believe that the policy of low taxes and economic freedom delivers for people right across our countries. That's why I want to fight this battle.
1: What do you think about the fact that the former president, Donald Trump, is in the lead right now uh, for Republican potential nominees? Obviously, we're a ways away. That could change. Um, But he talked about low taxes, economic growth, getting the government out of the way for allowing businesses to have that freedom. What do you think if he becomes the nominee uh, here in the United States? Well, when he was president,
0: there were policies like the tax policies and the regulation policies that I thought were absolutely right and delivered economic dynamism to the United States. I'm a big supporter of fracking. I mean, one of the ironies in Britain is we import fracked gas from the United States, mm. but we're not prepared to do fracking in the UK, even though our energy bills in Britain are twice what they are in the US. So, yes, he had some good policies. but. I'm not going to get involved in the Republican race to be president. I think that would be a dangerous <laughs> thing as a former British prime minister. But what I would say is I want to see a dynamic America. I want to see an America that is going around the world doing free trade deals, finding new allies, expanding economically, taking on China. You know, The world needs a strong America like it's never needed it before. And it, I think the UK... U.S. alliance is vitally, vitally important. And we're not seeing enough of
1: that at the moment. So if you obviously you care a great deal about this agenda, why would you not consider trying to run again and get your job back? (laughs) Well, first of all, it was a pretty bruising experience. I can tell you
0: Mm. You getting the job, coming up with the policies and the ideas and having those undermined, frankly. Uh, from within the UK, but also uh, more broadly. I also feel that what the need is now in Britain is to make those arguments again and win the hearts and minds. We just didn't have enough hearts and minds on our side in this debate. And that's why I'm here in America, because I believe similar debates are going on here. I think we need to win hearts and minds over to conservative ideals again the belief in individual liberty, not group identity, the belief in free enterprise, not the government running everything. These are the arguments we need to win again. And that's where I feel that I can add the most value. And I want other people uh, to pick up the baton. We need to get a new generation excited about conservatism. One of the most depressing things is what's happening on university campuses, what's happening uh, in the media, the fact that so many young people seem to be attracted to socialism and communism, uh, that wouldn't have happened a generation ago. I want to focus on winning those people over.
1: So interesting. All right, before I let you go, I do want to ask you because I, I am always part of our coverage when there's a big royal event as well. It's sort of um, it's something that I've done over the past couple of decades here. So I will be going over to the coronation and I understand that you're going to attend as well. But, but first of all, I wanted to ask you, we all watched so closely your meeting with Queen Elizabeth when you uh, were asked to form a government by the Queen. Tell me a little bit about that.
0: Well, it was a most uh, extraordinary honor uh, to be asked to form a government by her majesty and it just so soon after having that meeting, her passing away was after seventy years, seventy years on the throne. It was a great sadness for the country, but it was also a very a very critical moment in our country's history, and it, to have been uh, part of that was. I felt very, very moving, uh, a very moving experience. And when I met her in Scotland and we, we flew up and it was driving rain and I went to meet her uh, at Balmoral, she was so alert and so alive, although physically frail. She was absolutely on point and you know, just to still be still be doing that 70 years into the job, I think, is just absolutely incredible.
1: And what did it mean to you that the indications were that it was very important to her to do that, to meet with you? She had met with 14, I believe, prime ministers uh, and you were the last that that she, you know, summoned her energy because she (laughs) wanted to do that, have that moment with you. Well, I think, first of all, it's a huge honour, but I think it shows her
0: devotion to duty and her service to our country. And it was an incredible
1: experience. I can imagine. Uh, and your thoughts on how your country feels about the new king? It's a difficult thing to try to take on that role after such a beloved queen served for 70 years. How do you think it's going so far for King Charles? Well, I, I think it's I think it's going very well. And um,
0: we're all getting used to seeing God save the king <laughs> uh, after... <laughs> many many years of god save the queen and uh, i think we're all you know we're looking forward to the coronation i'm delighted that you're going to be over uh, in the uk of course 70 years is just such a significant period of time none of us can remember uh, anything different but i believe the king has established himself very well and
1: i'm really looking forward to the coronation well i kind of hate to even bring this up but um <laughs> It happened today. We got word that Prince Harry is going to go without the rest with his wife and family. I know she's not very popular in the UK. Do you have any reaction to that news or why that might be? I don't have any insight into the guest list uh, for the coronation,
0: but I think it's important that the king uh, is able to have the members of his family he wants to have have at the coronation.
1: All right. Um, Had to ask. Thank you, (laughs) thank you very much, Uh, former Prime Minister Liz Truss. It's wonderful to have you with us. Really insightful conversation. We look forward to the speech that you're giving in Washington and to hearing uh, how you tried to um, put forward the agenda that you feel so strongly about. Thank you very much, Prime Minister. Thank you. You've been listening to the Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News podcast plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.